You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Rob Hutchinson, and we're continuing the theme of GBV and the rather concerning issues which have presented themselves over the past week, most of which were revealed in front of the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee for Police. On the line, we have Andrew Whitfield, DA Shadow Minister of Police, and also a member of the Portfolio Committee on Police, who have over the past two weeks been interrogating the SAPs and several high-ranking officials on what has gone wrong with the criminal justice system. Good afternoon, Andrew. I trust you're well. Afternoon, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. Lovely to have you. First of all, I must say, well done on taking the initiative to lodge a complaint with the SA Human Rights Commission against the SAPs and National Forensic Science Laboratory. I understand it's over the uh, substantial backlog in the DNA testing, which seems to be an ever-increasing increasing issue. Um, Andrew, what is, what is the, the root cause of this rather serious issue? Well, firstly, I'm delighted that there is so much public interest in this issue. Um, we've certainly been dealing with it for more than two weeks, and I first came across the issue uh, when we were elected to Parliament in the sixth Parliament in 2019 uh, in pursuit of the uh, rape kit issue. I'm not sure if you uh, and your listeners are aware of it, but we, um, or I personally took that up with the National Police Commission, exposed the lack of rape kits at police stations, and we managed to get the contract awarded, um, which which led to rape kits at all police stations, or certainly the major, by far the majority of them, by the end of that year. Now, when that happened, it triggered a, a flood of phone calls from a number of people saying, well done, uh, but actually the problem is far larger. And that is when we started scratching around in the National Forensic Science Laboratories, the Forensic Division of SAPS, to discover that the historical contract management issues uh, emanate from the tenure of uh, former National Police Commissioner Khomotso uh, Patlane, who is uh, no stranger to controversy, um, who was uh, in charge of the SAPS Forensic Division uh, not so long ago. So this issue actually stems back about five years and is an accumulation of just completely dysfunctional contract management and supply chain bungling, uh, mm-hmm. as well as a, a lack of leadership within the South African Police Service, quite frankly. Sure. Yeah, that's, that I do remember those issues from from quite some time back. And and your efforts around, I think it was about two years ago, in addressing the shortage of records at, at the police stations, that we don't seem to have come much further since then. And unfortunately, with... Uh, as you said, more more supply supply issues still still rearing their their ugly heads there. You know, how does this actually affect the the chain of custody in 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 the many live cases that that are that are currently before the court? Well, this has got to be the next most pressing issue that we deal with because I think that the nation was stunned um, at the explosion 
in the case exhibit backlogs um, at the labs. I mean, in November last year, it was 117,000. Uh, it effectively exploded by 65,000 case exhibits over the last two and a half, three months, uh, with no uh, samples being analyzed in January and February. And so what we now need to understand from SAPS, uh, who will be appearing before the committee on Wednesday, is what is actually happening to these case exhibits? Where are they being stored? How are they being catalogued? If the information systems are down for track and trace and, you know, to link all of these cases to the criminal justice system, how do we know uh, that the integrity of these DNA samples has not been um, uh, compromised? Because surely there isn't enough space to just keep accumulating these uh, case exhibits and to keep them, I mean, on ice, so to, so to speak, uh, for extended periods of time. And I anticipate some of these samples could be at least over a year old. Um, so it's a major cause for concern. Um, but obviously, you know, the chain of custody, big issue, the integrity of those samples, major, major concern. And then, you know, the issues of access to justice for the thousands and thousands of victims who've been waiting for years, uh, whether those be the family, you know, families of murder victims, uh, rape survivors, uh, you know, sexual assault and, um, you know, other heinous crimes. Uh, that for me, the, the human element is the most tragic consequence of this, um, what is really an administrative bungling. Mm, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, I, I recently, uh, actually earlier, earlier today, uh, reviewed the what is called the court watching brief report um, and that provides insight on emerging trends related to uh, the proliferation of of gender based violence and and the ugly word of femicide but specifically just in in the western cape and what they say is that um, between the 1st of october and 31st of december 2020 139 cases were struck off of the court of court roll or yeah. withdrawn Due to policing inefficiencies, and 50 of those were were GBV related. Which, uh, and, that, and interestingly enough, the reasons cited were uh, the docket didn't make it to court, or the investigation was incomplete due to unprocessed evidence. Yeah, that's that's astounding. Uh, surely, surely there's some sort of system that should monitor and maintain all the evidence, as you mentioned, and for all of these cases. Yeah, look, and it also goes back to the issue, the age-old issue of proper training and ensuring that we have really qualified, honest and professional police officers who are dedicated to the task that they have, which is to thoroughly investigate uh, these cases to make sure the evidence is processed properly, to make sure that um, the victim's rights are upheld throughout that process and that they genuinely care about the job that they're doing. And I think that you know, a lot of, of what we're dealing with now would actually be resolved uh, by a professional attitude and proper training to policing, um, where policing is really a, a calling. I mean, like nursing or teaching and for some people politics. But, uh, you know, you really need to be completely dedicated to defending the rights of the victim. And when you hear the outcomes of the, you know, the MEC's you know, watching briefs that they run in the Western Cape, you start to become really horrified that it's not just DNA. It's a, it's a much more systemic. I mean, DNA would obviously be some of the evidence that's, um, you know, led to these uh, mm. cases being withdrawn. But 
it's it's a systemic issue within the police service of just I think in many cases a lack of care. Now there are some excellent police officers, Rob, but unfortunately it appears that the increasing majority are those that simply aren't capable of doing the job or just don't care. Uh, and so we are really uh, on a slippery slope at the moment as far as policing is concerned in South Africa. Yeah, I, I absolutely totally agree. The training is a, is a vital, important part of it, and really something as as simple as well, I assume it's simple. Here I'm a layman trying to comment on collection of, of evidence at a crime scene and, and logging thereof. But to me, it seems rather simple. You go to the crime scene, you log the evidence, you uh, track it into some sort of some sort of system, whether it's at the police station or filing system, and then process it if it's DNA through through the labs. And then when the courts the court case comes about, you you bring that evidence before the court in in the way it's supposed to do, um, but apparently that is definitely not happening. I read a, an article over the weekend, which cited some horrific stats around eight million pieces of evidence, or what they call exhibits, yeah. is uh, have gone have been lost. How can that be? Is is, is that really the case? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a mind-boggling figure, and I, I also read that uh, I was actually trying to switch off for a few hours and that came across my screen and, and switched me straight back on because now I'm busy trying to trace, you know, whether that in fact is the case and what pieces of evidence is actually being referred to. I mean, if there are 172,000, um, you know, case exhibits of DNA backlogged, is that contributing to it? We, we are going to look into that. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, it's a distinct possibility that, that evidence, I mean, we know dockets are lost or removed and chucked away uh, depending on Corruption or bribery within the within the police service, um, a lack of leadership. Uh, just to, to come to the point, is is really the biggest problem that I've discovered in my visits to police stations. You know, it's as simple as walking into a police station and you can feel that this is a team of police officers that knows what they're doing, or that you feel that they don't. And that comes down to the cleanliness, the orderliness of the the police station, the approach, the way that people treat you in the police station. Uh, And you think of victims of crime, and you say, you know, it's a simple process. Yeah, and I mean, for us, I suppose it looks like from the outside, it should be a a systematic process of collecting evidence, processing evidence, Mm -hmm. and making sure that, um, you know, the docket finds its way to court with all of the requisite evidence. But if you go back to my, my point about the rape kits, I mean, that's just one kind of evidence collection kit, right? That's a sexual assault evidence collection kit. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of sexual assault evidence collection kits for pediatric, so for, for children and <clears throat> different kinds of rape kits. Now, for general evidence, you, I mean, this is another thing we now need to look into. I mean, how many general evidence collection kits are also uh, th- where there's a shortage of them. So the police officers who want to do their job simply can't because of procurement bungles, uh, contract management issues to purchase consumables that are just should be generally available within the police service to do their job. Um, and so I do feel sorry in the DNA in- example for the scientists in the laboratories um, who can't purchase, they, they can't purchase consumables, Rob. They, they can't <laughs> purchase the reagent that's required in order to ma- make sure that they can test the samples. They don't have the right swabs. They don't have the right, you know, uh, uh, tools. They aren't able to calibrate the machines. And then, as you know, the IT system is down. And, and oh. so, <laughs> you know, they're good people who want to do great work, 
but but they just can't because of complete uh, completely in a, incapable state. That's uh, it's astounding. It, it seems to be uh, reflected throughout throughout the structures of of other government organisations as well. But when it comes to an essential central service which the public highly depend upon for for justice, such as the the SAPs, you know you have to start questioning what is really going going on here behind the scenes. And interesting that you should you should take it further than than just the labs because. Um, what I, I did some digging and I found that the 172,000 is the number of cases. However, each case has multiple, multiple, sure. um, bits of evidence in DNA, whether it's DNA or other evidence that needs to be processed. For example, the, the Senegal case that had 40 pieces of, of evidence attached to it. So, uh, in reality, what, what I, yes. what I discovered was the, um, backlog just on the DNA cases is well over a million, million pieces or million samples that, that need to be processed. That is a horrific. And especially when you're saying now that there are supply issues as well to allow the processing of that. How do we, how do we see this uh, ever being resolved? Is, is there a solution in sight? Well, uh, you know, what, what is really sad is that we uh, had one of the most world class, um, sort of DNA uh, you know, evidence collection and, and, and sampling systems in the world. I mean, we really, you know, we had great legislation, which we're still pushing for amendments to. Um, we were, you know, highly regarded on the continent as a leader and as, as, as we should be. We now yeah. find ourselves in this state of affairs, which, as you said, sort of follows a pattern of decline across state institutions as the capable, the idea of a capable state starts to slip away. And the incapable state just seems to get worse and worse. And, you know, the politicization of policing, I think, is is one of the, the problems. We've got a police minister who's not sure if he's a minister, a cowboy, or the national police commissioner. I mean, you know, he lit well, not literally, but, I mean, he figuratively just shoots from the hip every single day, you know, firing red herrings all over the place, um, you know, trying to distract people from, the real policing issues that face the country. And so I think that, you know, the president now needs to actually step in. If you're looking yeah. for a solution, the, the president appoints the National Police Commissioner. Um, th there's a critical issue in the leadership of SAPS between the minister and the National Police Commissioner who can't relate or speak to each other or work together. Um, and I think that what you'll find is that the Minister of Police, who is uh, conflating his role as a minister thinking that he's mm. actually still the National Police Commissioner, which he was for a very brief moment in time. Mm. I think that is the major issue there. And I think you know, your suggestion of getting the president involved here is an absolute must, and I, I hope you can actually do that. Which brings me to, to I think, an obvious question here is, clearly these, these SAPs have been lying to, to you or not revealing the entire truth in front of you, in, in inside the uh, police uh, portfolio committee, how do you how do you deal with um, with with such an issue? Is there any consequence against these officials that that blatantly uh, give you false information? Well, I think what's actually been happening is they've not necessarily been giving us false information. They've not necessarily been giving us uh, the all the information, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So. 
Mm. We've not been, they've not played open cards. They've not been open, completely open and transparent with the portfolio committee. And I think the portfolio committee is really now, after quite some time, starting to ask, and this is across all political parties, which I'm delighted about, is really now starting to ask the right questions and to put the pressure on. And that's why I'm delighted with the public interest, the protests, the blogs, the radio stations. Everybody is now sort of speaking out. We need to try and sustain this. Uh, and we actually need to bring pressure to bear on the president because it's the president who told us in his State of the Nation address in 2019 that he was going to halve all violent crime in the next five years. Well, you know, we're three years into that term or two and a half years into that term. And, um, you know, quite frankly, the, the crime rate is going up, violent crimes are up, uh, and the system that's required to hold violent criminals accountable is collapsing. Um, mm. So the president can't be on the sidelines on this issue. The minister and the National Police Commissioner have proven that they are incapable. Um, and so, yes, you're right. The Portfolio Committee has been uh, sidestepped uh, to some extent with respect to information, I suspect that we're going to be getting some great information on, on Wednesday, and certainly the committee is geared up to ask the hard questions. Um, but uh, until the, the president really starts to step in here, uh, I fear that um, we're not really going to get to the bottom of this. Uh, I, I still believe that there are some, some ghosts in the forensic division that uh, you know go back all the way back to Pashlani's days. Um, and I think those are still haunting the uh, police service, as well as, you know, issues with legal battles over contracts that SAPs can't get out of, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that were, you know, deemed to be irregular, but, but the courts and, and SAPs are now in a to and fro. Um, those issues need to be sorted out. And I'm, I'm convinced that Parliament is now on the same page and that you're going to start to see a lot more pressure brought to bear on SAPs. Well, I certainly, certainly hope so, especially considering that the president put aside 1.6 billion rand to tackle just uh, gender-based violence. Yet, if if the simple issues of the uh, criminal justice system and the SAP's evidence-collecting systems are not sorted out, that's going to be 1.6 billion rand of irregular expenditure. And we certainly cannot afford that as as a country or as as taxpayers. Uh, Andrew, any anything else you want to reveal to us that that we well that the public doesn't know about? Is there is there hope in resolving this? I know I've asked that already, but really it's it's a it's a really important issue for, for this country. Yeah, let's leave let's leave it on a silver lining. You know, I, I really do. I, I if I didn't have hope, I really wouldn't be doing what I was doing because it's the fuel that, that gets me through the day. Um, there, there is always hope, Rob. And in this case, what gives me the greatest hope, after really pursuing this issue for over a year now, is that for the first time, I really feel civil society, parliament, political parties galvanized around one core objective, which is to get to the bottom of the problem and to put pressure on the powers that be uh, to to present solutions um, to fix the problem. And that gives me a huge amount of hope. At one point, I felt like I was going crazy and asking all the wrong questions because I seem to be the only one asking them. I'm, I'm sure everyone's had that feeling before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's now a chorus of questions and voices, which, which gives me great relief and great hope that... Um, that while the solution might not be around the corner, there's certainly uh, go, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and I think we're now starting to move 
towards that light um, in a much uh, more uh, focused manner. And I, I'm I'm chuffed about it. I really am, and I'm positive. Oh, brilliant, brilliant! And I think you hit on the the, the key the key message there is collaboration between all political parties, all all civil society organisations, and possibly government as well to actually for once put their differences aside and work together in solving what is an incredibly important issue in, in South Africa. Andrew Whitfield, I thank you so much for, for your for your time today and wish you the best of luck in in resolving this issue as a member of the police uh, parliamentary portfolio committee and good luck with uh, laying those charges at the human rights commission i think it's it's absolutely necessary and well done for for what you're doing for for society and for south africans at large thanks rob and thanks very much for having me